This week on Retronauts, we dream of critical hits against metal slimes. Hey everybody, it's me, your pal Bob Mackey for Retronauts episode 26, and these are my last episodes of this season, so please enjoy me while I'm still around, people, at least in podcast format. Uh, and <laughs> today's dying? Uh, <laughs> digitally, maybe, okay. I don't know. I, I, my, all my ones and zeros are eroding. Anyway, uh, this today's topic is RPG battle systems, and uh, one of my favorite uh, things to play are RPGs, so this is going to be a great conversation. But before we start, let's see who's here today. Uh, first of all, who is Skyping in as, as usual? It's a me, Jeremy. Jeremy, uh, you're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> oh, whoops. we need some RPG references, but uh, I'll forgive um, you. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so who else do we have? Uh, Henry Gilbert from Henry, Games Radar. Our old buddy Henry's back, and uh, who else? And a bar slowly filling up to activate Ray Barnhold. Ray is using his limit break a little too early on this <laughs> on this episode. So yeah, uh, today's topic is uh, RPG battle systems, and I have to set the parameters for this conversation very, very uh, strictly, <laughs> but I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, first, I want to let you know this episode comes to us from Kerry Hamby. He pledged the top Retronauts tier, which is a lot of money, to come in to record with us, but he couldn't make it because of uh, certain circumstances, and um, he let us go ahead with this episode anyway, so thank you very much, Kerry. Uh, yeah. And I want to read his little blurb uh, that he sent us about this episode and why he chose the topic. Um, so Carrie says RPGs have been my favorite genre in gaming since playing my first one back in the mid-90s. While talking with a group of friends about our favorite RPGs, the topic of stories came up, and it occurred to me that hardly any of the stories in the RPGs I played ever made an impression on me. I couldn't even remember any details about most of them. It's certainly a nice bonus when a game has a good story, but I've always played RPGs for the battle systems. Without a good battle system, trying to get through a 40-plus hour RPG is a terrible slog since combat is the vast majority of the game itself. Game designers have accomplished something truly exceptional if you can make it through a game that long and not feel burned out by the combat when you finish it. I'm partial to turn-based battle systems because I like to have time to plan my actions without feeling rushed. And that is Carrie's thoughts on this topic, and we'll hear a little bit more from him later. But it um, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like I like the topic a lot, and I mean, it's not necessarily strictly retro, but we're going to be talking about sort of the evolution of um, battle systems, and we're talking about some newer games too that reflect, you know, uh, where RPG battle systems have come. And uh, just so you know, I want to I want to let everyone know that uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, the chronology of RPG battle systems um, uh, interpreted strictly by Japanese game developers. This is like kind of like the history of JRPG battle systems, and there's a reason for that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Western battle systems per se. It's just that they're mainly devoted to kind of strictly adhering to Dungeons and Dragons rules for battling, and mainly keeping all the math behind the scenes. You know, um, I feel yeah. that uh, Japanese games, uh, RPGs rather, they they're more explicit about like these are the mechanics of what's happening in the battle. But not not a lot of things are behind the scenes. Numbers are flying out of people, uh, meters are filling, and so on. Yeah, they don't adapt the word roll into. <laughs> no, no. Uh, like your descriptions for weapons don't have like uh, this is one die six worth of damage or whatever like that. Even though these games all draw from Dungeons and Dragons extremely in and, so many cases. And besides, next week will be Western as hell. Yeah, Western as hell. So if you don't like Japanese RPGs or you're mad that we're only talking about Japanese RPGs, wait till next week, and that's a Western RPG that's really good. So uh, let me just set up some restrictions here. Um, we're not going to be talking about other RPG systems like job systems and class systems and character building systems unless they directly inform the battle system in question. And we're not talking about strategy or action RPGs, so I'm very sorry about that. So we're talking about turn-based 
Japanese RPGs and their battle systems. And you, before you think that's strict, this topic is so broad, I like ran out of time to write notes. I was just right. writing thousands of words worth of notes just to cover all my bases um, in this uh, topic. So, yes, and I am very caffeinated today, in case you couldn't tell by the lack of punctuation and modulation in my voice. Uh, <laughs> so a trademark now. That's a trademark, the Bob Mackie difference. Uh, wink. Okay. Bob, run on Mackie. Yeah. So, uh, let's start off with the beginning. Uh, just a brief, uh, I guess, primer on the, the RPG itself, just to bring you guys up to speed on where we're coming from with RPGs. So, you know, like all the topics we talk about, it's always hard to find the first of something. It's easier to find the thing that did it best first, but uh, it's always, you know, it, it's, it's a, like video game history is like a gray area of like half half-realized concepts that eventually come into fruition later. So there's always somebody that did it first, but they might yeah. not be known as well. But or in many at the same time. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we'll see that here with uh, RPG battle systems. But yeah. um, Ultima and Wizardry, I think, are basically the most... Um, they set the standard for what an RPG should be. Am I wrong about this? Uh, no. For the most part? I don't know if Jeremy disagrees, but... Um, I strongly agree. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, without Western RPGs, we wouldn't have Japanese RPGs. Exactly, so exactly. I think we're all aware of that. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, and speaking of which, um, Ultima 3 Exodus, which came out in 1983, is basically the JRPG template that would be used for generations and is still used. Like, mm-hmm. the idea of, like, the world map, the party system, things like that. It even looks like a Japanese RPG, even though it's developed mm-hmm. by British British people. What? Uh, Ultima? Lord, no. Lord British. Lord British Lord is British actually British Texan. That son of a bitch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. It's developed by Texans. The new but, uh, man. His, his name is Aspirational. I guess I so. He was like the weeaboo for like UK Pretty culture. Much, yeah. And he's, he has a he's Scottish like castle mom. now, right? I think so. so. When he's not going into space and eating spotted dick, he's uh, exploring his Scottish castles. <laughs> and that wasn't a disgusting reference. That's an actual dessert. Look it up on your local grocery shelf. <laughs> I, I read about it in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, um, so Bob, I'm going to slightly disagree with your characterization as the template for Japanese RPGs because I think that's true in sort of the broad sense sense in the structural sense. Yeah, um, I am speaking broadly. But, but, go, but in terms continue. of the combat system, Ultima 3 actually had a position-based battle system where you moved characters around the field and that kind of... Um, you, di- you didn't really see much of that in JRPGs until... Um, you know, Shining Force and Lunar the Silver Star. Um, right, right, yeah. So, like, um, so the, the the combat system actually kind of was dormant. Uh, like the the inspiration there, it, it showed up like a decade after uh, Ultima Three came out. Even though Ultima Three was ported by FCI, Pony Canyon, whoever the hell, uh, to NES a long time ago. Yeah, it was it was Pony Canyon, and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, like the battles in Ultima Three are very much like Shining Force, where you're moving around units. It's very like location based and things like that. But I think like Wizardry definitely was the driving force for battle systems, um, whereas like uh, Ultima kind of uh, informed the way RPGs looked, at, at least how you navigated the world. I think Wizardry was really the uh, really where battle systems kind of originated, or at least they took off from that that idea that was presented in Wizardry. I can agree are we, with are, that. We, are we okay with that idea? Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure we get it. We're all on the same page here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like there's a little bit more history behind this. I'm not going to bore everyone with more history, but you know, but just some preliminary things. Um, the guy who brought Tetris to consoles, Hank Rogers, also brought RPGs to Japan. In a way, yes, I know that there are there were RPGs before uh, the Black Onyx, which was a 1984 game, but he designed this game himself with uh, Reiko Kodama from Fantasy Star, and it was a huge hit in Japan. I think it really is mostly responsible for popularizing RPGs in Japan before Dragon Quest did mm-hmm. in 1986. Um, 
No, I met Hank Rogers this year. Oh, really? Yeah, I got to do an interview with him and and Alexei uh, Pajitnov, uh, oh, the cool. creator of yeah. Tetris. And I started, I think I asked Hank more questions than I asked <laughs> Alexei. And he was really happy, like, oh, somebody's heard of me, finally. Yeah, but. yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, like, it's so it's so interesting that he's just like, I like RPGs, I'm going to make one. And he, he just, like, made one for Japan. Um, but mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy. So, yeah, Hank Rogers, it's H-E-N-K. The uh, the non the non standard spelling of Hank. That's the he was a Dutch ch- spelling, I believe. Oh, okay, cool. He was super chill, like the chillest guy I've ever met. I he mean, you like- you look at him and he's like totally a surfer bum, kind of looking yeah. guy, like a surfer bum in a suit. Um, yeah, so I, I totally believe that. I, I actually was signed up for that interview as well, and then um, something came up at the last minute, so I'm jealous that you actually got to do yours. Oh, that's well. I was jealous that that is such behind the scenes thing. But I was jealous you got to. I, I missed out on an interview with the um, Persona uh, artist that, uh, that and, and you got that right. Oh yeah, Soyjima. Um, yes, yeah. I did. Um, and that's because I threatened Atlas with bodily harm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so next time, use more violence. Yes, it's an important lesson in RPGs and in life. So yeah, Hank Rogers, ultra cool guy. He just is like, I'm going to make an RPG. So he does. Um, uh, publishes it through Bulletproof Software, I think. Is that yeah. his company? Yeah. yeah. And uh, scoops up Reiko Kodama, who I'm guessing was her, in her pre-Sega days? I or? Think, no, I think she just worked on the Sega version. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I was assuming that like she helped him with art or something like that. But, no, um, just okay. on like, the SG version. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, this game would not make it to Nintendo or the Famicom rather until 1988. By then, it was way old and crusty. Like Dragon Quest Three was about to come out with was way more advanced than this. But it blazed a trail on microcomputers, at least in Japan, for introducing an audience to this 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 um, genre they might not have been aware of. It made it playable. It uh, did math for them, which is an important part of RPGs, as we'll soon see. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it feels like it should be more well known, but I guess you know it wasn't on Famicom, you know, in 1984 or whatever, so we are not as familiar with it. Plus, it had a a bigger presence on microcomputers, which, as we learned with the last episode, could be very country-specific, and, you know, not a lot of those came over here, of course. It's really hard to find information on older uh, Japanese microcomputer games, like from the first half of the 80s. That stuff is really obscure, unless you speak a lot of Japanese, read a lot of Japanese. Um, It's just, it's hard to get info on that, and I, I always appreciate people who are digging that up. Um, Sam Derbu at uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 has kind of made that a personal crusade, and he's published a series of blogs that's been really, really informational. And all these yeah, old I was Japanese bring that RPGs, up, actually. yeah, all those old like pre-Black Onyx, pre-Dragon Quest RPGs are all kind of terrible. Like just reading about them and looking <laughs> yes, at the videos, uh, I'm just like, oh. I mean, I know it's, I'll try it's to, what passed uh, for entertainment back then, but. It really did, and I'll try to link to some of these, but there are some really interesting, like, sex RPGs. And by interesting, I mean deplorable and just wretched and awful, but they're <laughs> they're interesting in theory just at least to be like, this was a game, someone made an RPG out of this. It's sort of like Leisure Suit, Le- sorry, Leisure Suit Larry, but a little more um, lewd and yeah. uh, disgusting. But I'd, I'd play Laser Suit Larry. Laser Suit Larry? Is that, <laughs> is that like in the Tron universe? <laughs> oh, it's the Tron guy. Yeah. So basically, yeah, that's where RPGs. That's how RPGs got to Japan. Um, in in a nutshell, I know it's way more elaborate than that, but you know we only have so much time to talk about this. So, uh, like I said, I've broken the discussion up into different series, certain outliers, and things like that. It's going to be a broad discussion, but we're kind of going to we're going to try at least to go in order through the advancements of RPG battle systems. So let's begin our chat with a little bit about Dragon Quest. <laughs> Thank you. 
What did Dragon Quest do for consoles? Well, Dragon Quest is sort of like baby's first RPG in a way. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Dragon Quest, but that's essentially what it set out to do. Let's let's boil these mechanics down into an easy to manage form for the whole family, not just for your uber RPG loving uh, single dudes out there in their 40s or whoever was playing RPGs at the time. <laughs> all the uh, sex RPGs. All, all the sex RPGs, which, uh, mm-hmm. yes, almost forgotten by history, thank God. They missed that bullet. But, yeah, so Dragon Quest One's battle system, there's not a lot to talk about, really. I, we, we, I mean, I want to talk about it, but it's incredibly basic. The fights are one-on-one battles. Um, there are no status effects. I mean, there are status effects, but they don't affect you. Um, sleep and mute are basically what you can affect the enemy with. Um, and there's no buffs or debuffs, so it's extremely simple, uh, very, very basic, and um, kind of boring, actually. But it was enough to make people sit up and be like, this, these RPGs are pretty awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I, anybody, thoughts on Dragon Quest One? So let me, let me put forward the idea that Dragon Quest actually represented a reconvergence of the genre. Please so do. when, you, when mm. you look into the 1970s, late 70s, and all the games that were expi- in, expired, inspired by D&D, you have you know, the obvious RPGs, but you also have text adventures like Zork. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the sort of introduction for the original version of Dork, which is Zork, which is called Dungeon. Man, I'm having some trouble here. <laughs> Zork, which is called Dungeon, it actually specifically credits D&D and it credits the Colossal Cave Adventure. And Dave Lebling has actually said, you know, when we interviewed him at a game developers conference this year, he said that Zork was really meant to be, for his part, uh, an examination, an exploration of the, the, the concepts of RPGs. But he took, you know, more of the like the role playing element, the conversations with the dungeon master, whereas most RPGs that we think of took the, the numbers and the dice rolls and the combat. So Dragon Quest kind of brought back together adventure games and RPGs because a lot of the interface design and the inspiration for Dragon Quest comes from uh, Yuji Horii's previous game, the Portopia Serial Murderer Case, which was a graphical adventure for PCs and then on Famicom that uh, like if you if you look at those two games there's a lot in common between the way they're structured and designed and the way the interface works. So yeah to me like it, it's kind of um, that genre sort of merging back together and bringing all the the original inspirations of D&D back into to one roof instead of sort of breaking them out into separate genres. And I think maybe that's not necessarily why Dragon Quest was a big deal. I think it was a big deal because it was very kid-friendly and there was some really great advertising for it in Shonen Jump. But mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. But I what? think it manages to remain a classic and kind of uh has has stood the test of time and inspired so many other games because of the, the sort of uh, convergence that it represents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, Kira Toriyama's artwork can open a lot of doors with uh, back then. I, I think with the 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 battle system to me, it, it felt definitely streamlined. Like you compare it to the PC games that came before it, it's it's very streamlined. But it had a lot more streamlining to do. Yeah, and uh, that you can see now, like all these extra choices didn't need to be made, and then. Yeah, just having one guy, like, that's also why those you were in so many battles, especially even in, like, the adjusted difficulty NES version. Like, you were just in so many battles, and just you dying, it's over. Like, one when you have one guy in your party, then it's straight back to the castle and losing half your cash. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but that's yeah. not over. I mean, 
yes, it's over, but it's not a game over. It's like mm-hmm. the game continues with a penalty, which I think was, uh, to me, like a really, really user-friendly concept. It's saying, hey, you don't want to die, but if you do, you're not totally lost. You, you oh, can, for sure, you yeah. Still, I, I th- you can still keep going, and you can grind up levels if you just keep going eventually, and you'll just win through brute strength if that's how you have to play it. Yeah, I, I think Western RPGs for the most part embrace the uh, permanent character death because that's a part of D and D. But like, in an attempt to make them more user friendly, like Jeremy said, like there is no perma death in Dragon Quest and in Final Fantasy. Um, you know, just because like they want this to be user friendly, you're going to get penalized, of course, but still you can continue your game, which is important for a um, for a you know 15 hour RPG or however long Dragon Quest is. You're not going to go crazy Jack Chick style and kill yourself if your character <laughs> dies. You know, uh, that didn't actually happen, but some people think it did. Um, so yeah, like moving on, uh, there's not much more to talk about Dragon Quest. Uh, so we can talk about Dragon Quest Two and Final Fantasy One, which came out in 1987, and then these both represent huge leaps in uh, battle system complexity. So let's talk about Dragon Quest Two first. What this introduces is the three character party, which event- would eventually become a four character party throughout Dragon Quest history. But uh, Wizardry from 1981 introduced, I think it was the first RPG with multiple characters, or at least the first one that got it right. So in the beginning of console RPGs, you know, Dragon Quest had one character, but now Dragon Quest Two, you have three characters, and that means not only equipping an entire party, but it also means making sure to account for their strengths and weaknesses in battle. And uh, the character lineup of Dragon Quest Two would define the predetermined Dragon Quest party, except in this case, the hero class is given to a secondary character uh, instead of being your initial character's class. Although these classes are just, you know, they're not explicitly stated. Uh, there's a princess, a prince, and you. They're not like, I guess the princess is kind of like the mage, um, you're kind of the barbarian, and the prince is like the hero class, if you want to break it down like that. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. But yeah, um, any thoughts on Dragon Quest 2, you guys? Just curious as to, uh, like, just the importance of the party, and then we'll go into Final Fantasy afterwards. Well, it's not like it's not like a player party was some broad revolution. I mean, pretty much every RPG up till Dragon Quest had that, unless it was an action RPG. So it was it was more like introducing a, a sort of common element into Dragon Quest as opposed to a revolution in game design. But you know, for those of us who cut their teeth with RPGs on Dragon Quest, such as myself, I, I know I've told the story before, but the first time I, I heard about having an RPG party, I was like, that sounds so terrible. Like, why would I want to have to split up my experience and my uh, items and everything between three characters? That just sounds like so much trouble. I, I don't want to play this game. And now, you know, I can't imagine going back and, and making sort of the single player or, or single character party the standard. But at the time, like, it just, it, it seemed like too big a concept for me to grasp. So, you know, I suppose it's kind of like a backdoor entry into the standards of the genre for for people scrubs like me it it worked pretty well yeah i'm sure in the console space it was a a, uh you know a sort of like a revolutionary thing if you weren't exposed to microcomputer games or anything like that where they've been doing this for you know five or six years before dragon quest 2 uh henry do you have something that yeah no and i i play dragon warrior 2 it 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 did feel like it did feel kind of revolutionary to me just a little bit just to have the bigger party more choices and then the strategy in the in the fights did get you know it, it of course got deeper like you had one person heal or do the all attack or also like you could have more enemies to face at the same time and that was when they introduced the whole pick a guy and if they're dead before it attacks them then you lose that you turn. lose a turn right yeah, yeah that is something I, I couldn't remember if it wasn't dragon quest 2 but uh i guess we're all on the same page that it was i, I own that game and I know it was in Final Fantasy 1, at least. Mm-hmm. I 
feel pretty certain it was. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that because that was always just a pain in the ass. Like, oh, yeah. the, the character could not like understand the thing was no longer in front of him or her. Yeah, on a certain level, I could see it as like an interesting punishment system for like planning something of like, hey, you should know this attack will probably do 12 damage and that guy has eight damage left, so maybe attack a different guy. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it does, it, c- it can cause you to strategize better, but it also does make your players seem like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, it does place more mental math uh, requirements on the player, too, because it's like, I have to, like, ration out this damage. Like, this this character has 50 hit points. If I hit them with two, it'll probably die. Mm-hmm. So I'll have the third character attack another, you know, enemy and so on. But eventually, uh, RPGs would have that stuff happen automatically. Your character would just attack the next enemy or something like that. But at this point, I'm not even sure if that was the Dungeons & Dragons thing, like, if you can attack something that uh, after it dies. But, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can do anything I, in Dungeons & Dragons, I think, but... I think the idea of, of turn-based combat is supposed to be that each round represents simultaneous actions, like everyone kind of acting at the same time. Right, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think the idea there was that, you know, like two characters go for it at the same time and try to hit the same enemy, and whoever connects first and wipes it out, like the other guy is already mid-swing or whatever. So, um, you know, if, if you look at it that way, it's kind of understandable, but it's it's definitely not user-friendly, but... You know that that's that's kind of part and parcel of older RPGs, along with the fact that you constantly miss enemies and and things like that. Like mm-hmm. the the sort of um, I would say user unfriendly randomness of RPGs uh, was kind of gradually phased out, maybe in the '90s. But up until that point, I mean, even like Final Fantasy IV, which is a pretty big advancement for the the the, the genre, the the console genre. Um, you miss enemies a lot in that game. There's a lot of just oh, yeah. stupid, unfriendly crap that happens to you in that game. And that brings us to Final Fantasy, if we're done with Dragon Quest 2, and I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, Final Fantasy basically came out of nowhere and as Dragon Quest's direct competitor. Uh, it was much more complex in terms of its battle mechanics and other things. We're talking about battle mechanics only in this episode, though. <laughs> so just dream on, folks. We'll talk about more about it later. Um, so, yeah, uh, as with Dragon Quest 2, Final Fantasy had parties, but the player controlled who was, in, who was in these parties. So you weren't just saddled with this predetermined lineup. You could be like... Oh, I I need to have a balanced group or maybe an unbalanced group if you're playing like a gimmick playthrough, which sort of has become a popular thing on the Internet these days. But um, yeah, like you were put in control of the balance of your party. So like, let's say I want a fighter, I want a thief, I want a black mage and a white mage that would cover pretty much all the bases. The thief is kind of useless, but he'll eventually become a ninja, things like that. So. Final Fantasy had way more control over the setup of the battles and the battles were a little more complex, too, because like in Dragon Quest Two. You had buffs and debuffs. Uh, like Jeremy said, uh, you could you could hit more than once on a turn or maybe not, no times on a turn uh, in battle. And the, the way the battles were portrayed was much more different than um, Dragon Quest, which is sort of like the de facto standard for Japanese RPGs at the time. They usually borrow the Dragon Quest visuals or the Dragon Quest perspective from from Dragon Quest. But in Final Fantasy, you had a side, kind of like a side-scrolling um, 
I guess that's the best way to put yeah. it, or side perspective on the battles, yeah. which meant there could be a little more animation. Okay. I mean, it's, the, it's a triptych. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the characters could, um, like, they could walk out and then swing their sword or whatever, but um, essentially it was just a way to kind of dress up like a very boring, very, very, like... Um, I'm not going to say boring. It's a very, <laughs> like, there's not a lot required of you outside of making choices from a menu. So it's better than staring at a static graphic of a slime, you know, to, to see your characters, like, w- wiggle their feet and their arms around and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I felt like the uh, the first-person perspective in Dragon Quest was was it, it, something it inherited or was at least, like, trying to recreate from the PC RPGs. Yeah. It was inspired by, well, you know, the, yeah, the Square was more interested in trying to find a new thing to do with it. And also, they sp- they paid Amino all that money to draw those. Oh, for sure, monsters yeah. they want they want to showcase them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like um, the the enemy sprites could be huge because mm-hmm. they were just relegated to that one side of the screen. And I have a feeling that like um, it's so strange in the battle system for Final Fantasy One, and I, I believe this persisted up until four, where your characters like existed in a different window than the enemy. So it, like the battle animations were just like very abstracted. Uh, like it was a very abstracted representation of what was actually happening. But when you got rid of those windows, it just seemed kind of odd for your character to walk out two feet, swing a sword, and then walk back. And it's just like, yeah. how's that even working? But um, yeah, especially when they had attacks where they could actually like jump on the enemy, you know, their sprites, oh, right. and attack them. So I, I would say that you know, while Final Fantasy's um, combat presentation um, is less like a Western RPG than Dragon Quest was. Everything else about the game is much more like a Western RPG. It's much more of a free-form, kind of free-roaming adventure. And also, the fact that you basically roll up a party of generics at the beginning of the game, as opposed to the characters sort of existing in service of the story, as they did in Dragon Quest II, where you Mm -hmm. progressively meet the characters over the course of the game. Um, It's kind of like a weird... Uh, almost like a dovetail approach how each franchise kind of looked at western inspirations and said oh I like that as opposed to the other game that said oh I like that and you know bring in different inspirations so together you kind of get the whole picture I think that's that's one thing that maybe has made um, Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy sort of perceived as rivals over the years is because they do kind of together add up to something really interesting yeah, and like even in Dragon Quest Two, you start off with one character, just as in Dragon Quest One, and you slowly come to terms with controlling that character. Then you get a second character, and you come to terms with understanding what that character can do. In Final Fantasy, you're dropped, you're just you choose a party, and you have four characters from the very beginning. So already you're being asked to do a lot more in terms of you know planning, strategizing, coping with the battles, and so on. Yes, so I think we're ready to move on to the next um, the next major change in RPG battles, a very significant change. Uh, and that would be the active time battle system, which, God, it's kind <laughs> of a... Uh, it feels like one of the most important things to happen to RPG battle systems in in the history of them. Uh, am I wrong? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Anybody? Any any dissenters? No, I totally agree. I feel like ATB, it uh, that system kind of reminds me of how, like, platforming... To me, uh, in a platforming game, if the jumping doesn't feel close to what is like Mario's sense of gravity and jumping, then it can feel kind of off to me. Like when I played Little Big Planet, I was like, this, yeah. this platforming <laughs> just doesn't feel right. And it literally I, controls like a sack of flour. Yeah, and so when when a turn-based RPG does not have something approximating the, the active time battle system, it, it can feel kind of strange to me or it takes some adjustment. Like even if it's not visible on screen, if it doesn't feel like it's happening behind the scenes, then, then it, it takes some adjustment for me. And we should probably define this a bit before we go on. Active time battle is essentially, 
It's essentially your Final Fantasy battle system, but instead of giving you, you know, all the time in the universe to make your decisions, uh, there are a series of timers running in the background that you don't see. Like, enemies have timers when they when they make their attacks, and you have timers as well as, you know, when it's your character's turn and how long it takes for them to make their attack. These mm-hmm. timers would eventually become not hidden in future games, which is a great addition, but in Final Fantasy IV, a lot of the gameplay was based around understanding how long it took your characters to do things, how long it took enemies to do things, and then preparing for certain attacks, preparing for when your enemy would like lift their defenses and things like that. It was a very, very timing-based RPG. I think more so than even 5 and 6. I think they, they really dialed back on you know how much of it was time-based in terms of attacks and things like that. Yeah, in, um, in, later, in later Final Fantasies, to use the ATB, um, most actions happen instantaneously, but in, in Final Fantasy IV, it is kind of unique because... Uh, you know, more costly um, and powerful spells, especially uh, like Rydia's, you know, high-level magic and, and summons and things like that, take a long time to cast. There's not only the, the time for your character to um, take their, you know, to be able to choose their, their command and take their turn, but then to actually execute that varies as well. So it's it's pretty complex, and I, I definitely like some of the later remakes of the game that add the visible bar so you can see exactly how long it's going to be before you know that meteor spell attacks or whatever um, it makes a big difference um, and I, I suppose it's worth mentioning just because I was the one who brought this into the public light uh, but the, the game designer um, Takashi Tokita uh, said that he was really heavily inspired uh, by racing like uh indy indy 500 racing and cars oh wow kind of circling around the uh, the racetrack and you know cars move at different speeds and it's possible to lap another car and that was that was kind of where the inspiration for atb came from the idea of different characters moving at different speeds and of course that's based on their agility or speed stat or whatever so there is a way to kind of look and see the numbers behind it but then a lot of it is kind of you know in the heat of the battle you don't necessarily know those things so NASCAR fans prefer Final Fantasy to Dragon Quest is what you're saying. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, I thought so. Uh, yes, Final Fantasy IV, uh, I mean, it's one of my favorite Final Fantasy games, and I think the battle system is a huge part of that because it's really more like a puzzle game than it is an RPG. I mean, all of your RPG stuff is there, of course, but your characters are given their abilities in a prescribed way. Like, they'll always have the same abilities, and you'll always be fighting, you know, the same bosses with, with their same abilities. So it's, it's more of a matter of knowing what, I, sorry, knowing what abilities to prioritize and pulling them off in the correct window of time because... So many bosses in Final Fantasy IV are like, we can't attack this boss until this moment happens, and then we can do all of our attacks. Or there are a lot of bosses that charge up attacks that you have to defend against, or at least buff yourself up so you can survive in that short period of time. So it's all about prioritizing abilities, understanding where the, how these hidden meters work, and you know, coming to terms with, like, I have a sense of how long it takes to cast Meteo. I don't know if I'll have time for it, but I'm going I'm to try it anyways and see if that works. Yeah, I had a very, like, I, I came to have, like, a real Pavlovian response to just hearing just, like, the ding, like, oh, I can move now, ding, mm. ding, like, pick your actions, like, it it really it really got me in. And, yeah, you talk about how, like, Dragon Quest kind of, well, in, in pretty much every way, Dragon Quest is just resistant to change. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> and, like, active time battles was one of them. Like, I think still technically it is just, like, it's your turn when it's your turn, and it's not, it's not going to change. It kind of pretty much goes in the same order. Like, it took them a long time to even in the battle menus, like, have attack as its own solo thing. It was, like, action, then attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, because it was, like, nested menus. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily the Dragon Quest series that's resistant to change so much as the fan base, because, you know, they did <laughs> that's announce true. Mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Nine was going to be a much more action-oriented RPG, and the public outcry for that 
was pretty significant and so they they went back to the more traditional dragon quest style for for nine pretty quickly mm-hmm. hmm. yeah i that's you if i may drop a name yeah yuji hori when i oh, the one time i got to interview him he, he said as much to me too just like yeah they're the the fan base is is real conservative like they don't they don't want any big changes and so navigating that you have to like just slowly ease them into any type of change wow dragon quest fans get with the program you're 20 years behind, but <laughs> as much as I like, I love Dragon Quest, by the way. But um, yeah, Active Time Battle, uh, it was kind of like, I'm sure like if we had access to the, uh, I mean, you can go on to like Google Groups or whatever and go pour through, you know, old posts from the early 90s. But if the internet was as huge as it is today, I'm sure there would have been a lot of posts like, they're ruining Final Fantasy with this crap, you know, like, <laughs> they're turning it into a, b- a baby game. Like, I want to take my time. I want to plan things. But eventually, <laughs> like, even Active Time Battle would have like action and wait mode where you could, you know, choose whether you, you want the old style or not, which I think was a mistake because, like, Active Time Battle was never really that demanding. It just added mm. in- an interesting twist where you had to, you know, consider time a factor. Um, Actually, Active versus Wait isn't, like, allowing you to go back to a turn-based system. Uh, basically, Active means that actions happen even while you're making menu selections. But, okay, you know, so... The, the, the ATB element is still present, and there is still that real-time element, regardless but, of which mode you choose. But when the weight is selected, you ha- you're, well, as long as the menu's open, time is basically frozen. Is that correct? Kind of. I mean, actions okay. that have been queued up will still execute. It's just enemies and uh, basically can't select new actions while their uh, their meter is or the while the, while the menu's open. And, okay. and honestly, I've never, I've never like, really used it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like the active approach is is not really fair because you're waiting through menus, and unless you kind of already have your your actions planned out and unless you choose the more efficient menu layout um mm-hmm. it, it just gives the enemies a lot of free hits which i'm not a big fan of but honestly yeah. over time i've come to like turn-based rpgs more than active time battle which surprises me but hmm. maybe it's just a function of getting old it could be it's like <laughs> i don't got time for timers my own timer's running out <laughs> and soon it'll be the end okay <laughs> Let's wow. move on. Oh, sorry, that was kind of dark. Does it? Yeah, <laughs> real dark turn. All of our timers are, are running out, guys. Let's move on a bit. I, I do want to talk about, like, after Active Time Battle happened, there wasn't a lot of changes. Like, eventually, these systems would get refined a little more. Like, in Final Fantasy, like we talked about, the timers would become visible. You could switch between characters. Like, in Final Fantasy IV, I don't think you can switch to different characters. Um, you know, your character whose turn it is has to go. I think with it was either five or six that let you switch between characters if they were ready. Yeah, I Up think and six. down the line. Okay, six did yeah. it. In addition, like Final Fantasy IV also brought the idea of rows 
to the to this to the battle system where a character in the back row would take less damage, but then they would also deal less damage unless they had a they had a projectile weapon. So things like that added interesting wrinkles to active time battle. But nothing really changed too much until our next change we'll talk about in a minute. Also, Dragon Quest. Same thing with that. I mean, uh, the parties got uh, bigger, and you know you had more control over who was in your party. But it was essentially, Dragon Quest battle system would remain. Pretty much what it was from 3 until 10, <laughs> and probably into the future. Yeah, 3 put in explicit jobs, and so like you'd be leveling jobs in fights the same as that. Right. You could switch jobs, but that was... That's kind of, and then I think it was 5 that introduced a um, basically a monster collecting system into battles. Yeah. And, but that would just be, at the end of a fight, a monster would go like, hey, can, can I team up with you? Yeah, and then you could have your party of Metal King Slimes and rule the world. Oh, I wish. If only. Yeah. yeah. So there, there are a few interesting uh, changes, interesting examples of people just doing different things with these, you know, these institutions that were RPG battle systems like Mother 2 Earthbound. Um, it, it really uses the Dragon Quest battle system, uh, you know, in, in both in looks and the way you select, uh, you know, actions and things like that. But it also used time in a really interesting way. I mean, you can take as much time as you want when attacking enemies, but there's a rolling hit point meter. So an enemy can, in, uh, you know, conceivably kill a character, but they will still have time. Presumably they're, like, bleeding out on the ground or something like that, <laughs> and you're just trying to force pizza into their mouth. But uh, <laughs> sort, of uh, like, sort of like Gears of War in that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, they did something interesting with it. I mean, you still have your, like, very, very, you know, stayed, uh, laid back, you know, menu selections. But when, when you know, you're, you know, you're in the skillet, you're dancing on the flames or whatever, uh, time is tough. You got to, you know, revive your characters and, and your time is ticking out. So, yeah, that's one example of how there's just one interesting thing they added to a Dragon Quest battle system. I mean, it's just a, a weird idea and a weird RPG, but it ended up working out very well. And can we think of anything else but before 96, which will be my next, uh, my next big change for battle systems? Hmm. It's it's a little hard to say because I haven't played that many 16-bit Japanese RPGs because most of them didn't come to the U.S. We, yeah. we really got a very, very, very limited selection of, of 16-bit RPGs over here. And mm-hmm. most of them tended to be sort of the more traditional, um, you know, like, like Square Enix, brought, or, sorry, Squaresoft brought over Breath of Fire from Capcom because it, it, they felt like, oh, this is a good substitute for Final Fantasy V because that's too complicated, but this is Final Fantasy-ish without being too scary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there were a lot of, of interesting ideas that happened in RPGs, but I, I don't know enough about them to be able to say definitively. Uh, maybe maybe the most important that did come over here was the Lunar, uh, you know, I, I mentioned mentioned earlier Lunar, uh, yeah, the Silver Star, that. which, um, yeah. you know, kind of kind of drew on that Ultima SSI gold box inspiration to give you a, a battle system that was kind of a cross between ATB and a cross between turn-based because basically each character had their own you know speed rating and they would be given a turn in combat, but then they could you know take as long as they needed to execute that turn and be, it did have the positioning element to it that uh, that you know Ultima had had innovated. Um, so yeah, I, and and then I guess there was also Ogre Battle, which was almost like an entirely different thing on its own, almost like a strategy game. But right. then that that kind of broke out into um, Tactics Ogre, which you know kind of drew on Ogre Battle, kind of drew on Final Fantasy, kind of drew on Shining Force to sort of mix all these different elements up. Um, but again, like it's you know it's it's hard for me to say like oh this this one game that you've never heard of was super radical and innovative because mm-hmm. I just don't know. 
Yeah, I just think that Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy battle systems made too much sense to not copy. Breath of Fire I was also thinking about, but again, it's just very derivative of Final Fantasy. I'm sorry, Breath of Fire fans, but it always has been, at least until the last game. Um, yeah, I, I do think uh, Chrono Trigger, you know, it tried it tried a couple new things, but it was like, it was supposed to be, it, it had a feel of Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy coming together. Yeah, it in, was ATV 2.0 or something. That's mm-hmm. what they called it, I think. But that the fights would at least, like, you didn't go to a separate menu. Like, the menu just appeared on screen, and the thing you were fighting was, the sprite was the enemy. Like, right. you didn't get a separate enemy sprite or anything. Like, that that did feel very new at the time, and just the combo moves of pretty much everybody. Like, in I, I'd say that battle system, like, felt, it felt different enough. Like, not a major difference. Also... Uh, the the, uh, the Super Mario RPG, like maybe there were ones before it, but like oh Henry, that no. we're gonna get to that. Oh, sorry, I know you'll have a lot to say. You jumped uh, ahead, Henry. Yeah, how Apologies. dare you? That's right. I run a tight ship here, message board people. You talk about things when I say. <laughs> Let's keep going. I get that complaint a lot, but you know what? It's my goddamn show. In the words of someone else. Oh my god! What I know. I, I apologize know for that. Anymore, <laughs> I am not that person. But let's move on to the linear motion battle system before we get to time hits, which I want to talk about. So basically, other RPGs in the past, they would, uh, okay, this comes from Tales of Fantasia and the Tales of series, which has been going on for like 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. Other RPGs would warp you to action-based battle scenes throughout history, RPG history. Go back to like Legend of Zelda 2, which, you know, not technically an RPG, but it is very, has a lot of RPG elements where yeah. you, when you touch an enemy on the world map, you're transported to a battle, battle system-ish kind of thing where you're fighting things and getting yeah. experience points. So Tales was not the first game to do this, but it really, really bared down on this one idea and made it, like, sort of the central focus of every game. Because, I mean, the stories they tell in these games aren't very different from each other, and I've played a lot of them, folks, if you're a Tales mm-hmm. fan. I, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the games, too. They're not all great. But, um, yeah, the linear motion battle system is the main attraction for Tales. And... Um, did really inspire a lot of imitators. I think uh, most people just would opt to make an action RPG instead of making an action RPG battle system in a standard RPG. I don't see a lot of Tales-ish kind of battle systems. Am I yeah. am I right or am I wrong? Uh, I'm thinking of like Eternal Sonata, <laughs> but, that's, but that's also yeah. like a yeah, Tales it's like of Triace kind of thing. games basically do that, and no one yeah. really rips off Triace. Like Valkyrie Profile mm-hmm. has something similar, but that's Triace. There's Star Ocean. Oh, but that's Triace. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Resonance of Fate even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Triace exactly. is like the masters of this. Right, so like everyone who kind of descended from Tales of Fantasia, whether that's you know the the Tale Studio or Triace, basically keeps doing this thing. But they're the only ones. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, not I, I mean, there's a lot of innovation there. Just it hasn't been, it wasn't copied. It didn't like set a new standard. But it was an interesting take on battle systems where the actual fighting wasn't too complex, so an RPG fan could come to terms with you know playing an action game because you're really just attacking or using special moves. There was right. not a lot of 
finesse behind it. And there still really isn't. I mean, there's a lot of options you can do. The battle system has gotten a lot more complicated. At this point, it's called the cross-dual-raid linear motion battle system. And I swear to God, <laughs> every game has a new name for their battle system, every Tales game. And if you ask them in an interview, <laughs> they will tell you. And they'll tell you how it's different and like what yeah. they kept from old versions, what they didn't keep. I think they really... And like all struggle to care. Yeah. Because <laughs> really, it doesn't play much different. I mean, no, no. You can... You can tell me how complex it is and how great it is to think about phonons and shit. <laughs> 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 it's like, it is mostly the same. Ray, don't got time for phonons. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still enjoy it. But, it, like I said, it's not very, um, God, it's not very sophisticated. It's just really just, you know, trying to make the turn-based action a little more complex. But not really because mm. you're not gonna, going to be doing too many complex things with the system. Um, yeah, but I don't know. On the know. other hand, though, I mean, you can screw up pretty easily if you're not paying attention. True, true. I mean, you have and to block attacks. You have to... And you have, yeah, and you have to manage other party members, especially in the 3D games when you, you know, I mean, you can't always see them all the time. Yeah, to, like, yeah. keep track of them and make sure they're not dying off screen or something. And, yeah, in some games that you're stuck to a 2D plane. In other games, you have the whole 3D, you know, environment to run around in, and that can affect the battles, too. But, yeah, essentially, the, the linear motion battle system is its own thing. It's kind of exclusive to Tails, and the few games that have borrowed uh, versions of it have been tri games or <laughs> try crescendo games or try whatever games you know the try to the try the try people yeah so, people so it's, it's jumping ahead chronologically a little bit but i, oh, sure, I go do for feel it. like there's kind of a a little bit of a some simpatico in uh, grandia's battle system especially oh, yeah. to the 3d tales games like the the fact that your characters are kind of running around free form willy willy-nilly on the screen and there's like multiple uh, action bars, and there's they're constantly advancing along the bottom, so you can kind of keep track of who who's going to be able to act when. Um, it's not it's not you know like the direct combat you know fighting game style input as the Tales series, but uh, I definitely feel like it has a lot in common. Yeah, yeah, that's game arts, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Which yeah. I guess so not- you know they're they're the lunar, so there you go. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, including I mean, I guess it's the, the the turn meter. It's sort of like an extension of the Final Fantasy IV active time battle, except you can see the meters. You can see explicitly where each attack will fall on a line at the bottom of the screen, which is really cool. And not enough people do that. I think Child of Light does it now. I didn't play it because I heard some things, it's but um, about, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, like uh, so many Western developers are now using these Japanese RPG battle mechanics in their games. Like whenever I see an RPG. I usually see something I recognize from a Japanese RPG. Um, and the next example is what Henry brought up was Time Hits. Yeah. So, Henry, talk about Time Hits. I've been um, talking for too much. Henry, Henry well, knows about Timed Hits. Yes, watch out. This guy knows about Time Hits, everyone. <laughs> Jeez. Now, I, I don't... There's a lot a lot of pressure now. Uh, no, yeah, I guess it did come with, like, the first Super Mario RPG that, that Square made with Nintendo that the... Just... It, it makes so much sense for... It, it was... Uh, it really fit for the the Mario series, Mario jumps on people. That's his main attack. Like he's, he, well, he will pick up a hammer and hit you too, but like they all need to be timed. Like it's about, it's about timing and jumping. And so it brought a lot more like skill, a different type of skill into RPG battle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you guys were the same as I was growing up, but like me and a lot of other kids who played RPGs were a little superstitious about them mm-hmm. where we swore to God, like if you hit the A button during the right time in a <laughs> battle system, like when it made the sound effect in Dragon Quest, you would get the critical hit or whatever. And it never worked. I mean, mm-hmm. it would work 10% of the time enough to actually fool us into thinking that something was happening. But mm-hmm. I think out of instinct, we would just hit the button during an attack or whatever. And I think they were just carrying that that natural play style into the battle system itself. I don't know if I'm alone in that or 
that just me and my weird friends. But yeah, um, it wasn't me, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can understand how that might have come to fruition. I still have the superstition. Uh, well, I, I have let go of the superstition. But when playing Pokemon, of like, if you think you've caught the thing, like you got to keep tapping the button. <laughs> oh like, yeah, oh, yeah. Just to make sure it got him. Like, see, so yeah, I'm, I'm used to that, and and it 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 did key into that of just and and then just the real simple like Nintendo style messaging system of like oh you hit it ding hit it good oh great excellent and yeah. and that the even mm-hmm. with all the different types of Mario RPGs there have been that they've pretty much kept that that style of yeah combat. that's been the main thing they've kept uh, they've done different things I mean like Mario RPG is sort of just like a square RPG it's very very mm-hmm. little to do with Mario except for a few characters and, <laughs> and a few worlds but um yeah it's very weird in yeah. a lot of ways like in, in non-Mario weird ways Gino and Mal look like they, they they fell out of other Squaresoft games that they got kicked <laughs> out of or something they're hideous too. they are pretty hideous uh, there's some there's a weird Gino fandom online I but know I don't get it I, get, they, I like, want him to touch Crush me with his strong arms. Hashtag Gino okay. for Smash. <laughs> oh God, is that a real thing? Hell it has yeah. to be. Oh, it's the hashtag for everything. Everything Gino. needs to be in Smash these days. They're fucking Star Fox. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to this, guys. Like the funny thing about this, uh, in the battle system in Mario RPG is that like you're not given any clue as to when to use time attacks. You just do it when it feels right. Mm. In the future, games would actually have prompts on screen, and sometimes they'd be hidden. Like in Mario and Luigi. There are hidden kind of combos you can do. If you get a feel for what the buttons do during the combos, mm-hmm. you can actually do uh, things that aren't explicitly taught to you, which is really cool. You can discover new attacks and things like that, at least in the first game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're basically having to get a feel for the frame. You yeah, know, the frame yeah. Animation. It's like, what happens when I hit this and, button uh, during this part? Yeah. Which is kind of like what I was thinking of also is like Final Fantasy VIII when you do the Gunblade stuff, which is also like a timed hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And only one guy can do it, right? It's just only Squall. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's funny because that game can get you know, a bit choppy in the battles, and so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to really get used to that timing. Yeah, so, I mean, like, uh, it does feel like this is the most the most copied thing from Japanese RPGs is the time hits thing. And I will say that, like, the, the guy who created this idea, or at least ma- put it in Mario RPG, the battle director, eventually went on to uh, direct Legend of Dragoon. So, I, I think oh. in Legend of Dragoon, everything is timed, like, using items, like, defending. Isn't that, is that true? I didn't play it because of bad things I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have played it. I, <laughs> I kind of skipped it, too. This is just speculation on my part, but based on what I've read, I think it l- took the idea a little too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I had assumed he went on to Alpha Dream, like, with, uh, with most of the Mario RPG team, like... I'm not sure if he was... Uh, he had to be a Square employee, I'm guessing. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, some of the Square employees, like, they, they did eventually, like, go off to make the Alpha Dream team who, oh, I wasn't who made sure. the okay, Mario and Luigi stuff. Like, cool. And, yeah, the, the Mario and Luigi games, I think, are the, the best at, at utilizing the, uh, that, the that version of the battle system, more so than Paper Mario, because, like, there's just so many, like, cool, like, visual tells of this guy's going to attack Mario or Luigi. Right, yeah. And, and, oh, if, yeah, yeah. and if you're particularly good, like, you'll take no damage. Like, yeah. you, that that's the payoff. Like, in Paper Mario, even if you protect yourself at the right time, you'll still take one damage. Like, right. you'll still take a hit. That's true. I mean, like, it includes dodging in as part of the game. Like... When an enemy attacks you, you're free to have Mario and Luigi jump at any time. Like sometimes mm-hmm. they fake you out with an attack, so you can't. So they they hit you anyway. Sometimes their attacks take you know a long time to like charge up and hit you. So there's a lot of timing involved in that too, not just in attacking but in defending as well. Mm-hmm. Um, can we think of anything before Mother Three that really used timed attacks well? I'm trying to think. I couldn't think of many examples. I mean, uh, you know, outside of Mario and Luigi and Paper Mario, which were extremely about timed attacks in every way. Well, there mm-hmm. was there was Vagrant Story. That's which right. Vagrant integrated story. that into something that seemed like it should have been an action RPG system, but was actually very much like a 
man, I don't even know how to describe it because that that evolved from Parasite Eve <laughs> no in a lot does. of ways. And Parasite <laughs> Eve was was kind of like this weird hybrid of turn based and and uh, and action RPG as well. So. Um, oh, you know, th- those are games that kind of go back to the the original Dragon Quest style of a, a single protagonist fighting through a dungeon. Oh, yeah. So that that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I would say um, Vagrant Story really made great use of timing. And it also kind of encouraged you not to go crazy with the timing by introducing the risk element. So you'd like chain together really powerful hits. And if you could keep the timing going, that's awesome. You'd just deliver so much damage to enemies but you'd also in- increase your risk element which basically meant that you were sort of it was like you were leaving yourself exposed and you would take stronger more more grievous damage when enemies attacked you and your risk was high so right and i i believe I, you I really, could de- defend I really like story. i think you can yes. actually defend against incoming attacks one of my greatest moments yeah. as a gamer was defending the final boss is like ultimate world destroying attack because I think what happens is like an, ex- an exclamation point pops up when you can defend against it, but that guy's attack is so huge that that exclamation point is often off screen. So I managed to hit it at the exact right time and I blocked the attack and I was like, oh my god, this is my, great- my greatest moment. It's like Sura's Wrath all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Henry, go ahead. No, no. Oh, no. sure. So, uh, yeah, Mother 3, I think, is like the king of timed attacks because it just does it so well. And in case you don't know what it does, basically, um, in the battles, you're not really taught this or prompted in any way. I don't think maybe in the instruction book or something like that, or maybe the, one of the little frogs teaches you about it in the beginning of the game. But essentially, you tap the button along to the, to the song in battle, regardless of what battle it is. So let's say it's your turn. You go to hit attack. And then when your enemy, I'm sorry, and then when the menu says so-and-so attacks, you just start tapping the button in tune to the music. And if you do it right... Um, you'll get you'll get attack after attack after attack until you run out of you know I, I think there's a limit to how many times you can attack an enemy in the game, mm-hmm. but this is essential to fighting some of the stronger bosses because if you just go in with one attack you're going to get screwed because you're not going to do enough nearly enough damage to you know you know beat them. Um, am I the only person who's played Mother Three here? Yeah, sorry, I'm, okay, I, I, I've had. Oh, I, th- I thought Ray, you played some of it. No. Oh, Jeremy. Yeah, I played like the up. first three chapters or so, and okay, yeah. How did really, you like the battle system? It's great. I mean. Um, I think that's one of the the compelling cases for not emulating, which is unfortunate because that's the only way you can really feasibly play Mother Three in English. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the the timing is very very precise, and right. like once you get into it and get into the groove of an enemy, then um, like you'll you'll play really effectively, and you can chain together like dozens of hits. But um, each enemy has its own combat theme. Like when you fight bats, they have a theme that sounds almost exactly like the Batman theme from the 60s. Oh, and, for sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's like lots of little cheeky elements like that. But but it means that each combat encounter, not only do you always have different music, which is nice, some variety, but like it has a purpose. It's not just an aesthetic thing. It's actually integral to the mechanics. And it's a, yeah, it's a really great battle system. I really like that game. Yeah, I love it. And like... I don't know. It plays with it so much that it could have just been like, oh, yeah, fun time hits, whatever. But, like, bosses will change the tempo of the song or the tempo of the song will change during the boss fight. The time signature will change. And some songs are just like I've never learned how to combo on them because they were, like, really tough enemies towards the end of the game. And I just, like, I might get a few extra hits in, but that's it. So it's really just, like, really coming to terms with, like, understanding music, understanding beats and things like that. But it's such, like, uh, an implicit part of the battle system that I think most people might miss it if they don't know it's there. And it's just such such an important facet of that battle system. And I recommend you play Mother 3. I mean, I played it emulated. I didn't have any problems with the timing, but your mileage may vary always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, the recent, uh, with that style, like, it, it, that style really influenced the recent South Park RPG. Like they, oh, cool, yeah. They took a lot of, uh, of influence from that. Like, they explicitly said it at a, I saw them at Comic-Con last year give a panel on it, and they, like, Trey Parker was saying he wanted, like, he, li- he loved Earthbound, he loved the Paper Mario RP- and all the other Mario RPGs. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and he wanted it like that. He especially, like, he was saying, you look at Earthbound, it's like kids walking around a small town America, like getting into crazy situations. Like <laughs> it isn't that far from South Park, like stylistically. That's so true. there are aliens in South Park. Yeah. Except, <laughs> in, there so- were. <laughs> except in South Park, there's, there's farting. The, the, yeah. the farts are the attacks. Well, there are, there are farts, oh, there's in farts Earthbound. And, yeah, that's true. That's Earthbound true. is farts as well. So we, we found so many things in common between Earthbound and South Park. <laughs> Don't make an internet video based on that kids. I'm so delighted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like, this is a great idea, but this idea can be overused at times. Like, I thought Costume qu- sorry, costume Quest really suffered because mm. you are doing the same timed attacks in every battle. Like, and they're basically just glorified QTEs, but I feel like I, there's going to be a sequel to this game, right? Yeah, I, play, okay. uh, I got a demo of the sequel at E3, and I think one thing they are trying to improve with the battle system is that it's just two people that attack now. Okay. One character on your team is, it's, it's funny, is just Candy Corn. He's just dressed as Candy Corn, and he only is a damage sponge. Like oh, he, wow. It's <laughs> like your tank or whatever? Yeah, he's just your tank. He, you, can't, you don't choose movements for him. He just gets hit by the, by the enemy. So, just, so to keep it as a three-person team, but only two attacks you have to bother with. I'm because just hoping there's more variety this time. I mean, I yeah. played through the, the first games just because I, I liked the setting and I liked collecting candy for some reason. It was really addictive. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, like some, some RPGs, you know, don't do it that well. Some just really make time everything part of their being. Like, I have to mention Shadow Hearts on every episode. We talk about <laughs> RPGs because it's so great. And, like, everything is a timed hit. Like, buying items, um, <laughs> story events. Uh, wow. Like, everything, it, it relies on this sort of, like, golf swing meter. So they <laughs> yeah. they really went crazy with the idea of timed things because, like, everything's everything's a meter. Everything's a timer. It's mm-hmm. great. I mean, I like it. Uh, you might not. But they really went to the limit with uh, Shadow Hearts <laughs> as far as stopping timers. In Camelot's Mario Sports, like, Portable games. Technically, the battles in those are are tennis matches and golf games. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. It's literally RPG combat with a golf swing meter. on to a few other additions to RPG battle systems. This is a really minor one, but I think it kind of uh, signifies a change in RPGs, and that's Limit Breaks. Uh, they first showed up in Final Fantasy VI, I believe, as desperation attacks that you would rarely see. Like, if you were down to, like, 5% of your health or whatever, your characters would occasionally pull these off out of nowhere, and I saw maybe, like, three of them in all the times I played Final Fantasy VI. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like a little secret hidden thing. But yeah, I'm in, a very cautious player. I never saw. Yeah, like it, only in like the Colosseum would I see these, where you're you're not in control of your character, and you know mm-hmm. they'll occasionally whip these out. But 
They, these were front and center in Final Fantasy VII, mostly because of the visual fidelity allowed for these great animations to play out. And it was an excuse to, like, make some, you know, jaw-dropping animations and summons and things like that. But my theory, and you guys can disagree with me, is that these these were influenced by Sentai shows like Power Rangers, where <laughs> the course of the battle in every one of these shows, and they're always the same, it's like the heroes are, are almost losing at the last minute, and then something happens, and they turn they turn it around. So, like, they almost are always defeated by Rita Repulsa or whatever, but then, like, one attack really changes the turn of battle. And that's what I feel like limit breaks are in the sake of yeah. uh, Final Fantasy games. That and summons. That's true, For too, sure. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is more like you, your chips are down, but right. your meter is built up, and now you can do the ultimate attack. Um, unfortunately, I think these really made the games a lot easier than they should have been, especially with Final Fantasy VIII, where you have a spell that lets you use a limit break whenever you want, and all those limit breaks will break your game yeah. in half. But Final Fantasy VIII but, is all about breaking but, itself But open. in fairness, that spell in Final Fantasy VIII is really hard to come by. It's not like it's just, you know out there for you to go buy at a shop anytime you want there are just like a limited number of resources where you can draw the aura spell from or else you have to go through a convoluted step of refinements to create it from the cards it's not True. it's not like it's just you know oh i've got aura now the game's over yeah you can't go out and buy the wind spell but it's still available to you and i and i feel like i don't know i mean like Limit breaks are okay in theory i think dragon quest does it better because it's more like a dragon ball style like powering up phase where you power <laughs> yeah. up successfully over every turn, sorry, successively. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, enemies can wipe this out, and that's a really frustrating part about Dragon Quest, but when you go, like, full Super Saiyan, which is, you look like you're Super Saiyan. I mean, it's, yeah. it's more than a yeah. winking reference to Dragon Ball. Um, you can do some amazing say, attacks. I mean, I didn't mean to, like, belabor or correct your analogy. Oh, no, I no, I would say, no. like, summons are more like the Sentai thing, where, like, limit breaks are more like the Dragon Ball type thing. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah <laughs> because it's like we're going to, you know, turn into a giant robot together, yeah. and we're, mm-hmm. we're going exactly. to bring, like, a giant dragon to the planet or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, well, somebody who's watched Sailor Moon kind of recently for the first time in a while, like I, I do think, like Knights of the Round and and spe- is is a lot like a Sailor Moon style. Like now oh. it's time for my special attack and cut to a different <laughs> camera angle and some very <laughs> involved animation. And and also for my friends, like the limit break, uh, like getting Knights of the Round was like a badge of honor. Like you'd be like, yeah, oh, you're yeah. not as hardcore as me. I got Knights of the Round. It's like I've read Chocobos for 20 mind-numbing hours, oh. <laughs> and this is what I have to show for it. A two-minute long animation, but I did it too, so I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm no better than any of you. Uh, so, yeah, anything else on limit breaks? I just feel like um, I see them in almost every RPG now, even like – Hardish, more hardcore uh, RPGs like Etrian Odyssey have their version of limit breaks as well. So I feel like it's a it's a very very common feature in RPGs these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think I, I, I think the more thing, I think the more hardcore the uh, the RPG, the more complex and intricate the uh, the the conditions to pull it off. Like Etrian Odyssey, it, it varies from game to game, but. Um, most of the games, like, it builds up while you're out exploring, and then it resets when you return to town, so it's kind of a use-it-or-lose-it sort of thing, and it takes forever to build those up, too. Etrian Odyssey 4 was a little more generous with it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that was that was just kind of the nature of that game in general. Yeah, it's still a tough game, at least in my opinion. If uh, I, I want to bring up one at, one at Western RPG. Oh, please do. Which just reminded me of this. The, the, the NPC, I think, in Fallout 2, who's like, shit, wish I had a limit break. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I like limit breaks as uh, most of the time. I think they're like kind of a nice reward every once in a while of seeing like cool animation and and especially in like the 32-bit RPGs, they might not be all that visually stimulating and they save like the real flashy stuff for the five seconds of a limit break. But I, I think it can get way too involved in like that 
if I'm if we're gonna keep like dumping on Final Fantasy VIII, <laughs> that was like the thing I disliked most. Almost the, uh, most of anything in Final Fantasy VIII was just in the battle system, seeing really the summons just every time. Just yeah, and I mean they made that part of the game itself in which that you could power up a summon if you if you tap the button. Mm-hmm. You had to get an ability to power up your summon, so it made the animations justified in some way because you can spend that time powering up your summon. Yeah. So like some of the most uh, complex animations would give you so much more time to power up your summon. Mm-hmm. But still it was a problem and then in 9 they eventually made okay you'll see it once and then you'll see a shortened version of it a lot of times and you, you might see the full thing once again which was a good way to do yeah. it. I like Final Fantasy 12, 9. you can also power up your summons. Oh that's right yeah yeah. Which was what was that called? Oh. <laughs> said. Yeah I don't know. It had like a, a weird like roulette wheel kind of thing to it right? It was like yeah. a quickening or something. Quickening, yeah, yeah, that's right. With so extra we CK or something. Yeah, <laughs> with all of your magics. Quickening, quickening. <laughs> Two ends. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a bit more from Carrie, who is our guest backer, or our non, uh, sorry, our absent guest backer. But, with, your, uh, with us in spirit. Yeah, he's with us in spirit. Um, so he wants to bring up uh, the press turn battle system from uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. Um he says the press turn system is a turn-based system that gives each character in your party one action or press turn. Uh, with a party of four, you will start with four press turns, and once all these are used, the enemy party gets its turn. By using an attack that is strong against an enemy's weakness or by getting a critical hit, you gain half a press turn, which is essentially an extra action. However, if the enemy blocks your attack due to its resistances or if it evades your attack, you will lose a press turn. That's just a basic explanation of the system, and the system itself is tweaked from game to game. But what I like about it is that it rewards playing smart and punishes carelessness. Mm -hmm. You usually can't just press one button repeatedly, or the enemy will punish you and you may die in a random encounter. And he says, also, I love that buffs and debuffs are incredibly important in the Shin Megami Tensei series, along with other series treating them as throw... Sorry, and other series treat them as throwaway spells that just take up space, which is true. Like, Mm -hmm. I love Persona. It's such a great, like, intuitive, super streamlined version of the press turn system where... You're just sort of like playing Pokemon, essentially. Like, that's the fire guy, that's the lightning guy, although it's not as explicit as that. So, any thoughts on Press Turn? I mean, I love it. I think Carrie did a good job of explaining why it's valuable. Um, Jeremy, I know you love Persona and uh, SMT games. Um, I think it's good. <laughs> I, I don't really have anything to add over what Carrie said. Carrie really summed it up. Any, yeah. Anybody else about this? Because Persona, I mean, this is just sort of like random RPG battle system chat. We, we went through all of the steps that kind of brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing how other, other games are playing with RPG battle systems. Oh, yeah, I love, I, I'm also a big SMT fan. And like the, uh, the recent ones take a lot from, uh, like use that press system really well too. Uh, it, it does reward like memorization, which is something I really like. Like you, you need to know this guy's weak to lightning. So use Zeo on this guy and boom I just got a second attack and then but if they die uh, that also brings the risk a more of a risk system to choosing who you attack because if in this one where you attack somebody and then they die and you'll attack someone else you might be using Zeo on a guy who's going to be healed by electricity and you kind of have to take that into account with judging who you're going to attack and then if your attack misses you lose your turn basically Mm -hmm. and a bunch of things it's it's very malleable it's very I don't know it just makes you feel like if you get a grip on what kind of spells to use you really feel like powerful Mm -hmm. and uh it gives you a lot of chances to you know um, recover if something goes wrong I mean yeah oh. oh god Oh, okay. <laughs> well, also with SMT, I was going to say one one uh, thing in its battle system that's 
been hard for me to get to convince other people to play it is they have they have a problem in the battle system where you have to convince a, a monster to join your party. Okay, yeah. I was they, thinking about yeah. it more in terms of Persona, but go ahead. Yeah, it, well, in, in SMT, like uh, most recently in, in Shin Megami Tensei 4, you you can take a turn, you can use an action to just say like, hey, do you want to join my team? And you get in this back and forth with the monster that like, honestly like makes little sense it like, doesn't make any sense it's supposed to just like you should say the opposite of what you want you say like hey join my team why because I'll kill you ah I like your spirit like I'll, <laughs> I will join your team and yeah. and it is kind of like flipping a coin and and when my friend uh, a co-worker I, I told him like oh SMT4 is a great RPG like if you're looking for a new one for the 3DS and he played it he was like I played it and then like this monster asked if I'd give him a back rub and yeah like, yeah well, <laughs> At times, it's like, it's like, what does this have to do with you joining my party? It's like, do you like baseball? It's just like, uh, uh, I don't know. It's like, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. and so, yeah, it's just All like right. these, I mean, they've kept the kind of arbitrary nature of mm-hmm. uh, monster recruiting. I think it is funny. It yeah. can be funny, but yeah. The conversations can get convoluted. You can get like multiple like, you know, responses, you know, and, they, and then they end up you not recruiting them at all and they steal money from you or something, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, but I, I think, think Persona- T4 goes, goes a long way toward giving you optional um, sort of, I guess tweaks buffs to your ability to recruit monsters so you can activate these different apps in your gauntlet that will um you know that you carry around with you everywhere and they will mm-hmm. give you like make enemies more likely to join you or give you gifts or give you money um so so I think you know Atlas has kind of uh, taken some steps toward mitigating the arbitrary nature of of demon conversations yeah, yeah, at least they understand that it was always a little unfair. Although you can basically have unlimited chances if you just track the same monsters down again. Yeah, you can really see the difference if you played the um they, they came out in I think I think it was the same year they came out in America like the Soul Hackers remake. Yeah. And then play that right next to Shin Megami 4. Yeah. And you would totally see like how far the series had come in in its controls mm-hmm. like or in battles. I just like uh, the Soul Hackers take on the internet in the in oh, our, in our future. Yeah, just like uh, virtual marketplaces. That's what everyone mm-hmm. wanted, <laughs> and then computer guns. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Um, so other things that changed. Uh, we see Final Fantasy going through a few uh, minor changes. I think, like from between seven to nine, not a huge amount of changes. But Final Fantasy X, um, they had the, the ability to swap out party members on the fly during battle, which. Sort of acted like Persona, I believe, in the way that like you yeah. want to use the right type against the right enemy. So like Waka, you use against flying guys. I didn't play a lot of Final Fantasy X. I didn't like it that much, but and essentially, there was, and there was this turn chart. Yeah, to me, that's the bigger the change. Yeah. Oh, please explain. I didn't know a lot about ten before going into this. The turn chart, Jeremy. Oh, I was I was gonna let Ray explain. All right. Oh. So anyway, yeah. Instead of like the active time battle sort of meter, it's like it shows like this vertical you know, chart of, like, whose turn it's going to be for, like, the next several turns or whatever, and that can be you or the enemies, basically, and it just shows you that. And so it gives you a bit more uh, of a planning uh, opportunity. Okay. Yeah. And before that was uh, basically behind the scenes. Shadow Hearts, Mm -hmm. like, straight up ripped that off. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. Shadow Hearts is Final Fantasy X's combat system and Uh presentation with timing. That's all Shadow Hearts is. I mean, it's great because it's a great battle system, but man, that was brazen. Yeah, it was. But it gave yeah. you a lot of options in battle, though. I mean, but let's be fair. Also, Final Fantasy X ripped that off from Tetris. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so. not not to be glib. I mean, <laughs> not being glib. Um, Final Fantasy X was actually inspired pretty heavily by Front Mission. The uh, battle director was the battle director for Front Mission, and they brought him in oh. to 
sort of okay. wow. change up and, and freshen up the, the Final Fantasy active time battle system approach because, you know, it, it was six games old by that point. So they yeah. were like, ah, we got to do something different this time. So he made it much more of a strategic, like, turn-based style, kind of turn back the clock a little bit. But instead of going back for just, you know, like a straight turn-based, you take your turn, I'll take mine kind of combat system... Um, it sort of retained a little bit of the the essence of active time battle, even though it it took out the real time element. Yeah, I need to go back to Final Fantasy X at some point in my life. But we also have Final Fantasy XII, which is the most revolutionary change to Final Fantasy. I think. I mean, they didn't they didn't keep it, but it was basically like we talked about it in the Matsuno episode, so I won't go on too long. But it was basically like RPG Manager 2006, where <laughs> you were you were sort of like the coach of an RPG team, although you could you could control them all like individually if you wanted to. I don't know why you would do that. It seems like a lot of work. Sometimes it but was you're, necessary. Yeah, like I mean, you, that that was the problem with the game, though. Like. It never drew the perfect balance between hands-off and hands-on, so you're always just kind of futzing with it. And, um, like, bosses obviously required a lot more work on your part as as sort of directing your party. But a lot of the uh, wandering between, uh, you know, missions and maps and stuff, you were just kind of, like, steering your your party into enemies and letting them go to work. So as I was saying, uh, yeah, I didn't think it offered enough. uh, I don't know. It never struck the right balance for me as to, like, you know, hands-on and hands-off. I don't know. How did you guys feel Final Fantasy XII? It was a cool idea. I like the idea in yeah. theory, but I think Matsuno wanted to turn us all into programmers secretly. Mm. And uh, my brain doesn't work that well in that in that capacity. Yeah, true. I mean, I only played it recently, like a couple of years ago. So I, I don't think I use Gambit a whole lot. And so, I mean, I'm like you. I don't really, I don't want to deal with that like logic tree. Yeah. I mean, figure it out and all that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it felt more balanced than what you're saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Bray. Uh, I've already forgot my thoughts. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just going to say, I'll, I'll go to bat for Final Fantasy 12 because, I mean, really all the Gambit system did was to make things easy, less, less troublesome when you're kind of out exploring. Like when you go up against a difficult enemy, you still have to be very, very involved in coaching your team, if you want to put it that way, in in guiding them and directing them and choosing their commands and actions and the the order and the enemies that they attack. But what what the Gambit system really does nicely is kind of mesh with the open, exploration-friendly world of Final Fantasy XII so that you're not constantly going to a separate combat screen and hitting the same basic commands over and over again. It basically just does that for you so you can focus more on like where am I going, you know, kind of keeping your orientation. It, that that kind of system wouldn't work for you know, something like Final Fantasy 13 where it's really linear or even one of the Super NES Final Fantasies where the the dungeons are actually really small, but because Final Fantasy 12 was such a big world and there was just so much kind of free roaming, um, it actually it worked really well in that in that context and took out a lot of what could have been super frustrating busy work from the process of you know having an RPG set in like a single player RPG set in that kind of open world. Yeah, I mean, I, I dealt with it. It wasn't my favorite thing. I wouldn't have finished the game and played it for more than 100 hours if I didn't enjoy it in some way. But yeah. I feel like um, I just wish there were... I mean, they added so many better options in the Zodiac version, which we didn't get. And I, w- I really wish those were part of the original game, since I, I believe they made Gambits a lot more effective in certain situations. Keep but, running uh, to Yoshinori Kitase and telling him that we want a remake of 12th International Job international zodiac job version for vita and eventually <laughs> eventually he will break down and say fine just take it i, I think that's wishful thinking if anything it'll be like an android version 
mm. <laughs> in 2015. Uh, so yeah, they did it with Dragon Quest VIII. They're gonna uh, do it with Final Fantasy, kids. Just just hang on to your seats. And different different parts of the company. Different people I see. call the shots there. Maybe uh, yeah. I'm, I I don't know. I just have <laughs> I'm not very hopeful for the future of uh, ports, but that's another conversation. So other things, I haven't. I don't have really much more to talk about. I mean, we we went over the the kind of the building blocks of RPG battle systems. Um, who made the biggest innovations and who sort of carried those into the future? Um, I brought up to, uh, Jeremy brought up Grandia, which brought in the turn meter, and we see that in Child of Light and other games like that. Um, am I missing anything about mm-hmm. RPG battle systems? Am I? Am I? There's got to be some gigantic, huge thing I'm missing. That I'm sure you'll point out in the comments. But um, well, am I missing po- anything? Is Pokemon something we want to talk about? Um, like, I we could talk it, about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just basically it's basically Dragon Quest. Um, yeah, it, I mean, there were the Dragon Quest Monsters games. Uh, well, Dragon Quest, well, uh, Dragon Quest Five had monster collecting, and, and so did Shin Megami. Like it was monster collecting, but I think like Pokemon, at least like for a whole generation of kids onward, like it, it introduced. It is where uh, they learned about RPG battle systems. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, like, I totally agree. Any, any like, 10 or 12-year-old that likes RPGs probably started with Pokemon. Hell, any, like, 25-year-old who yes. likes RPGs probably started with Pokemon. Right. Yeah, and that it did, it, it simplified a lot of a lot of things, like, that, well, in, in other ways it didn't, but, you know, it, it had all the stats, like, and kids were memorizing all the stats for all the characters. Yeah, but, yeah. And in battle, like, you you had a limited number of moves, and so that that would make the, the, the combat a little different just because, like, you'd have this awesome fire attack, but it was so awesome you only had five of them, and the whole time, and, like, if you spent it in one battle... And then got in another battle, like you'd you'd need to save that, especially if you were going against like the Elite Four at the end of the oh, game. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all about like you know planning and mm-hmm. you know prioritizing your powerful yeah. attacks. And they were upping it more with like the carry items, like the the berries you could give them that the Pokemon would just randomly use, and also the, like the creating the sense of friendship with your Pokemon, like in the recent game of like they'd listen to you more and they'd get more critical hits if yeah. you were nicer outside of the battle. Yeah. Uh, like, when I played Pokemon, it came out when I was 16, and I, I picked it up because, you know, like, this is from Japan, it's the biggest <laughs> Japan thing, and I have to play it, but then when I played it, I, I had fun with it, but I was like, this is this is so basic, it was like, it felt like a throwback to RPGs of, like, more than 10 years ago. I mean, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it for what it was, but it, it really, the battle system hasn't really changed that much in Pokemon. I mean, it's yeah. essentially like, you have your four attacks... You have your collection of Pokemon. Uh, there's weaknesses and strengths and, th- and things mm-hmm. like that. And, yeah, Nintendo hasn't really changed that much. Well, I'd say it's a similar situation of, like, with Dragon Quest where they, they don't want to change it too much. Though there is, like, there's new things each time. Like, they bring in, yeah. like, multi-team battles, like, three-on-three. And, like, uh, and also, like, deeper, deeper... It really uses status elements. Like, status elements are a big deal. They follow you out of battle. 
and like you can call in and out your Pokemon like based on that. Like, mm. and so it definitely gets a lot denser. Like I have I have some hardcore folk Pokemon friends who are just like hate the stigma that oh, it's the same game every time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. What, like uh, probably Cat Bailey's at home fuming and thinking about <laughs> uh, hidden values or whatever. But uh, mm. to me, the layman, uh, it's a little too simple, and I don't have the time to get into this ultra complex uh, Pokemon you know mechanics. That's not for me. But yeah, Pokemon. Uh, a little Dragon how, Questy. How about a battle system that really caused a discussion? Uh, the Saga series. Oh snap! <laughs> hey Jeremy, <laughs> we, we, you need to talk about Saga and why we should like it. Because mm. I, God, Lord knows I've tried. I've tried. Man, barf. I don't. That's I don't probably I can, why I. I don't know if oh. I can really sell it. I think you have to enjoy hurting yourself a little bit, like I do. I see. Um, instead of cutting myself, I just play Saga. Yeah. <laughs> Saga's the only game where your fists can wear down and you can't use them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or one of the wear few them games. down to bloody nubs. It makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah, uh, like, okay, go ahead. I mean, I can I can talk a little bit about it because I got, like I said, Lord knows I've tried to like Saga, but it just doesn't stick. But like, I mean, it's, um, it's basically your typical turn-based RPG. The difference is that you have material degradation and you also have the ability in the later games to do link-up combo attacks, except these things are all hidden and obscured, so you have to discover them by accident. So it does encourage experimentation or buying a strategy guide, but um, you know it, it could be a little less opaque. I think. Yeah, yeah. All I know is it's that. like there's there's hit points, magic points, life points, um, a lot of a lot of points to keep track of. Uh, I don't know. It just uh, God, like I I want to like those games. I try them. I try every one that comes out. I'm sure I probably would have tried the 3ds remakes or was that a DS remake? DS. Those are actually really good. Yeah, I heard that. And I'm like, oh, and I think they're translated now, right? Or at least one of them yeah, is. Yeah, and translated, okay. yeah. I might try that one because uh, the Game Boy games, I, can, I think I can, I can deal with those. Yeah, I think the core ones are okay. That Yeah, the, the Game Boy DS ones and, and Romancing Saga. I think those were the ones that, you know, sort of were better honed than the later spinoffs slash sequels. Yeah. Like Frontier and Unlimited stuff. Like, that was just, like, <laughs> hubris the game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, like, and uh, I feel like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of smart design behind it, those games, but they don't give the player enough feedback to understand what choices they should be making. So, like, I feel like after having played every Saga game, at least for two hours at a time, I should have some idea of what I'm doing wrong, but I never do. Like, and I always mm-hmm. give it, like, an honest go, but... um. Maybe Jeremy was was blessed with the Saga gene or something like that, and we don't have it. I I didn't like Saga for a very long time. I played Saga Frontier and was like, I I don't know if I'm doing this right. I got to the final boss and just, of of one of the stories, it should be said, not not all seven final bosses, but I got to, to one of the final bosses and just could not figure out for the life of me how to even damage it. It kept taking away my character's life points. That's a thing that we should mention, life points. Your oh, characters yeah. have hit points, and they have life points. When your character runs out of hit points, it costs a life point. They can be revived, but they won't get their life point back until they go back to an inn or something. And if your character runs out of life points in combat in the field, that character is dead forever. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. There's your permadeath. Uh, it's not wow. completely absent from Japanese games. Um yeah, this, like, I don't know, Saga Frontier felt like the ultimate prank on Americans, where it's like, Square Enix is great. They make everything good, and they have a new RPG, and it's going to be huge, and then you and then you buy it for $50 like I did, and you're like, what the, what? Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. I thought they were, uh, they were like, unimpeachable. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting in the post-Final Fantasy VII time, where they just, like, opened the floodgates to localize everything. Yeah, like, yeah. And just to see, oh, well, FF7 works, who knows what, will, what else will? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Fantasy. I'm sure Final Fantasy VII fooled a lot of people too, because the the common complaint that I would receive, um, because I was the video game guy in mm. my in my high school. <laughs> For some reason, uh, I guess it was much rarer to be a gamer back then. But uh, people would yeah. come to me with their complaints about games. <laughs> like, because Final Fantasy VII was huge, the most common complaint I heard was, you can't even move your guys, is what I heard. <laughs> like, I, that, that quote will stick with me forever. You can't even move your guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, like people were just baffled by the idea of choosing things from a menu to yeah. attack other things. I knew a number. Well, I think we all probably knew people who were tricked into playing Final Fantasy VII oh, yeah. based on its advertising here. There was, there was an area menu in, in those commercials with all the CG. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then following that, like I, I also knew friends, and my little brother was one of them too. Who was like, "Oh, this is the next thing. It's it's Saga Frontier. I'll play that. I'll, I'll be just as good." And it, yeah, we were not ready for Saga Frontier. I don't, I don't know if we're we're st- we're ready yet for Saga Frontier. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, I think st- it's still ahead of its time. Yes. Humanity has some ways to go. <laughs> By that, I meant I would, America. I would kill for having that on PSN. I would I would love to be able to play that on my PlayStation Vita anywhere I wanted to. That'd be, Saga that'd Frontier be is not on PSN. No, there's a bunch of Square Enix PS1 games that were localized and never released on PSN. The Saga mm-hmm. games, Bushido Blade, Einhander. Uh, is Musashi on there? I don't, I don't think, think Musashi is, is on there. Um, yeah. Most of no. those are all on the Japanese store. <laughs> of yep. course, they would have to be. There's probably like there's probably music licensing issues or something. Voice rights. Right? We're lucky the Vagrant Story is even on there. Yeah, yeah I, I have no idea how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Matsuno, the Matsuno effect, yeah. the uh, Evilis effect. So a few other things I'd like to talk about. I mean, we talked about Tri-Ace, Tri-Crescendo, Tri-whatever, like the Tri-developers, T-R-I. Mm-hmm. They were behind um, Star Ocean, things like that. But I feel like they have the most um, mechanically complex uh, and most interesting battle systems like Valkyrie Profile? Sorry, yeah. Valkyrie Chronicles. Wait, Valkyrie no, no. Profile. God, I always yeah. mix the two up, and I know they're different. <laughs> I've, I've, I've played both people. Valkyrie <laughs> Profile, super interesting battle system. Valkyrie Profile 2, even more. Um, something I like to bring up a lot, which is a game that no one played because it was released the same week as Final Fantasy XIII, and that's uh, Resonance of Fate. Um, yeah. Pretty stupid RPG in terms of plot, but the battle mm. system is amazing. It will take you hours to come to terms with it, but the things you can do in that battle system are just, like, uh, incredible. Please read my review of it for 1UP. It's probably still up somewhere on the website. Mm-hmm. Um I gave it a low score because I felt like it was way too unintuitive. But I, as I came to terms with the battle system, I was like, oh, my God, I feel like a god. Because, like, <laughs> I, would invite, I would invite people in the room and I'll be like, watch this. And then they would just freak the hell out. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the Resonance of Fate battle system, too. I reviewed it also. And, oh, wow, okay. And ended up giving it kind of, I think I gave it like a six or seven. It was on a magazine, so you'll never know because I didn't save the magazine. Mm. But, um, yeah, it. uh, the battle system was it's definitely its strongest point like because outside of the battle system it was just a lot of like anime cliches and Nolan North's voice acting yeah Nolan North was in that yeah but yeah it uh, the battle system kind of reminded me of Valkyria Chronicles in a way like just of the you could you know the walking system, like, and, and getting the viewpoint, like, it works really well in a 3D space. It did, yeah. And uh, I can try to describe it in, in a certain way. Like, you were, you were queuing up moves for all of your three characters, and what you want them to do is run, like, in a triangle mm-hmm. or, like, meet, meet, like, I don't, God, it's so hard. Uh, <laughs> you want one character to pass through a line that divides the other two so they can, like, do a combo attack. And mm-hmm. and pre- pre- preferably the enemy will be in the center of this combo attack. But the, the battle uh, backgrounds have, like, obstacles, things you can blow up uh, stairs walls things like that um, it's just super complex I'm sure you can buy it for like 10 bucks now so yeah the, look into it yeah the try games have a lot of that like cooperation between characters is a big part of like a lot of their oh yeah, combat yeah. things like in 
uh, Valkyrie profile, I remember the, in the DS one that came out a, a little it, within a couple of years, I think, of Resonance of Fate. Like it also had a similar. It, it was a top-down strategy RPG, but it had a similar thing of like surround this guy with four characters and you will like ruin them. Yeah, and from what I've heard, I didn't play much of it, but Val- Valkyrie Profile Two. That battle system is very much like Residence of Fates, but it's a little, believe it or not, it's a little trickier to get into, <laughs> which is why I kind of like hit a wall when I first started playing the game. Like, what, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. But uh, And then Residence of Fate does feel like slightly pandering in the let's make a game for Westerners kind of yeah. way. It's like, well, it stars a white guy and he shoots people. I mean, yeah. is this what you wanted? All of your weapons are guns, and you can build, like, massive crazy guns that don't make any sense with, like, five scopes and 19 <laughs> barrels and, like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. I love it. Um, but it still had, like, the little sister character who you accidentally walk in on the shower. That's and, true. Like, it, and if you buy the most expensive outfit for her, you get constant panty shots. I learned that the hard way. I was like, why does this outfit cost so much money? It just looks like a regular out- Oh, okay. <laughs> no one come in my room. I didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, um, let's just wrap this up real quick. So what are our favorite RPG battle systems, if we haven't named them already? Um, in terms of, like, rock-solid, you know, you know, withstanding the tides of time, I, I think Final Fantasy IV is my favorite. Mm. But in terms of, like, just straight-out wackiness, I like Resonance of Fate to go back to that. Um, Jeremy, what is your favorite RPG battle system? Man, I don't know. Um, like, all-time favorite? Yeah, yeah, if you could name it or, or boil it down to a few. Um, okay, so vintage, let's say uh, Final Fantasy VI. I thought that was a really nice balance of all the different elements and inspirations of, of the um, active time battle concept. Um, kind of streamlined to be fast and fun with, with a few more options, like being able to swap turns between characters who are queued up. Um, more recent, I would say Shin Megami Tensei for a lot of the reasons discussed earlier. The press turn system is really fantastic, and it has a really great interpretation of it um, with a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes tweaking uh, possible with your gauntlet apps that really allow you to sort of customize your approach to combat. Uh, just a really great system all around. Cool. Uh, Henry, how about you? Uh, yeah, the couple for me are, one, as, as m- much as I was, like, complaining about uh, Dragon Quest fans are too conservative. Like, I do like that whenever I go back to Dragon Quest that it is, like, it's a warm blanket mm-hmm. of familiarity. Like, that, that feels really nice, and I know, like, I'll know exactly how to play the battle system pretty much of any of them. It, to, to pick one of them, I think Dragon Quest V might be my favorite oh, just yeah, because yeah. it brought in the monster collecting system really well in there but still had, like, the really cool job system integrated into it too. Like that was that was one of my favorite, and it also had like my favorite final boss battle of any of the Dragon Quest games because you you fight a boss that like it. I think it was at least the longest one. Like you 
Uh, no, I'm thinking of four. Four had it because that okay, had Okay, you had a ton of party boss, members too. Yeah, in four you have a boss like you basically dissect and then like his arms fly off and then he like completely transforms. Like it was uh, – on the NES or Famicom, it must have been like a, a crazy show off. Of yeah, the, like, the like what we can do with a sprite. And then um, a more modern ones, it would be like the Mario and Luigi games. Mm. Like just I think it is it is the best – my favorite version of that of uh, the the – timing-based action system, especially because, like I said, you can you can be good enough to take no damage, and that it takes, like, real skill. And the way they mix it up into little mini-games within the battles is really cool. And then especially in, in uh, the third one, Bowser's Inside Story, they also would make the Bowser fights feel different than... Uh, oh, in, yeah, really different. You yeah. hold the DS to, uh, vertically, too, when they're in yeah. battles, I and, think. Yeah, and they'd have, like, special gimmick fights where, where Bowser would become, like, Godzilla-sized yeah. and just have, have some really cool, like, use of the motion controls. That was the one good use of blowing into a microphone yep. uh, in, in DS history. Stop making us do that. We don't like it. Though At least it, I don't like it. It was embarrassing to play it on mass transit, I would say. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ray, have we taken all the good ones? Uh, no, because I really like the, the like the hyperactive ap- active time battle of uh, Final Fantasy X-2. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Like, how does that work exactly? I haven't played much of it. Well, I mean, oh, God. I'm <laughs> so bad at explaining things, but it's really just like this really honed version of ATV. Plus, you know, the uh, the instant class changing of using the dress spheres. And That's stuff, right, yeah. Uh, which really helps out, and it's just generally really fast. I mean, you can just, like, hold down the X button and blaze through enemies that you know, weaker enemies that you shouldn't really spend that much time on anyway. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just the kind of thing I like. Just being quick with, like, transitioning in and out is something I really enjoy. Cool. Mm -hmm. I I do have friends who swear by, like, the 13s, the original 13 battle system was, like, paradigm shift. Yeah, the paradigm shift system was, was, got a bad rap. It felt very different. It felt like a puzzle game, really, to me, Mm -hmm. at least. And even more so than Final Fantasy IV. But I I respected what it did, you know, um, on its own terms. Yeah. So my last my last last question is where do we want to see RPG battle systems go in the future? Because I don't know, I haven't seen too many mega revolutionary changes in the past decade. I really like Bravely Default. I think oh, yeah. that was a good twist on um, the job system, the Final Fantasy battle system, and it's a, a lot of risk reward and a lot of planning and uh, mm-hmm. very versatile party members. So there's a lot of decisions to make. It gives you a lot of feedback as to what you're doing right and wrong. Um, I just want to see. I, for me, I want to see like like crazy, super weird, tri style experimentations. Like, let's do things people aren't doing. Let's play with turns. Let's play with weapons. Let's play with items. Let's try to figure out a way to, um, I don't know, rethink RPG battles. Because, like, I feel like a lot of American and Western developers are stealing, not stealing, sorry, (laughs) borrowing, which is fair, uh, ideas, good ideas, and they should be, like time hits and things like that. But I think, like, we need to go beyond that. Let's go to the next level of RPG battle systems. Um, Jeremy, how do you feel about this? Where do you want to see RPG battle systems go in the future? Um, you know, I don't really have any specific ideas in mind. I'm I'm happy to kind of let the industry, the, the designers surprise me and I'm, I'm interested in seeing new takes on, on kind of classic ideas honestly because hmm. in, in recent years things like well really it's been Atlas with the Etrian Odyssey series and the Shin Megami Tensei series they've really uh, brought a lot of life to the uh, the very stale and uh, very old wizardry style of combat and managed to do a lot of things that really make it feel fresh and contemporary so I'm all in favor of seeing more things like that personally Cool. Uh, Henry, how about you? Yeah, I think um, uh, Bravely Default definitely was, like, it was inspiring to me of, like, 
the future of RPGs and Japanese developed ones especially because it was retro in a way but but also more experimental than at least I'd seen Square really put out in 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 some time. So oh, yeah. that that was in, inspiring makes me look forward to the future but also, you know, we talked about um South Park and Child of Light and uh, I think like there is uh maybe this generation of western developers who are very influenced by the the RPGs of the of the 90s are oh, going for sure. to like uh, I interviewed the XCOM guy, one of them, uh, mm-hmm. one of the main guys, sorry I forget his name. It's been 2 years, but uh, he directly cites Final Fantasy Tactics as a huge inspiration for that XCOM game and it mm-hmm. plays very much like Tactics in its own yeah. way. Yeah, and it was excellent. And then strangely enough like now uh, Intelligent Systems is making a game like the uh, codename Steam that's coming out next year that looks very influenced back again by XCOM. Yeah, right? yeah. It's so, a weird exchange of ideas. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how like Western, more Western companies will create things of, that are inspired by those, those classic systems. Cool. Ray, how about you? What's, uh, what's the future of RPG I sold? kind of already said it. You know, I think there really needs to be a better think, uh, better... Better handling of transitions in and out and of things and just speeding things up in general. Because, like, yeah, I like Final Fantasy twelve, but there's still that second and a half where everybody has to pull out their weapons and then finally fight the guys. And it's just like, yeah. that was a bit faster. That'd be great. And, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and, it, I mean, even Earthbound did it well enough back then. Where we're just like, yeah, if an enemy's too weak, you can just walk up and whack them, and then they're gone already. That's really something I don't see stolen enough. Yeah, and like, it sort of does it in Persona 4, which I most recently played, and but not really because, you know, I wish like you push triangle to do, go into rush mode, but that just like has everybody do basic attacks. It doesn't like fast forward anything. Where yeah. I wish it would. And, it can't like, just determine the battle like, oh, you won. Yeah, and <laughs> you'll like see like a red shadow enemies, which are supposed to be really tough, but I'll still like mow them down later in the game. It's just like throw me a bone here. Yeah, just speed it up somehow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, think that that is an issue that sh- should be addressed. Yeah, and not enough like, people are borrowing the Earthbound idea. Yeah, like it's that. like the twenty first century. You know, <laughs> yeah. we should be figuring that stuff out already. So yeah, that was our, our look at RPG Battle Systems, a very specific look, and we still have a lot to talk about, it, but unfortunately our time is up. And that was brought to us again by Kerry Hamby, so thanks a lot, Kerry. Hopefully this episode was up to your uh, standards, and we're sorry that you couldn't come and uh, hang out with us and be a guest host, but there's always next season. So let's wrap this baby up. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitch.tv as Retronauts, so please check all that stuff out. And as always... Go to our blog post and you'll see a full uh, write-up for this episode. I'll let you know what music is going to be in it. Or, sorry, what music was in it. Give links to things we talked about and so on. And as always, keep the reviews coming. They always help the show and they help uh, make us more present or prominent on the iTunes Music Store, which is important. And also, we do still have t-shirts for sale if you're interested. Go to fangamer.net and look up a Retronaut shirt. And uh, there are still some left, so please grab one of those if you haven't. They also help us. Uh, contact info. I am Bob Servo on Twitter, and uh, as far as where you can find me elsewhere, I write for US Gamer, and I also write for Something Awful. So check out those sites; you'll find a lot to enjoy. Uh, Jeremy, um, I am located at Gamespite on Twitter, and you can find me uh, at usgamer.net. And my current secret passion, where I moonlight, is uh, GameboyWorld.com. And there's some other stuff that I do, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you can play Google Detective on your own, kids. Uh, Henry, how about you? Uh, yeah, I am H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. Uh, I write for GamesRadar.com. And uh, also on my off time, you'll find me on the LaserTime Podcast Network at LaserTimePodcast.com. And before we go, I want to say that uh, Henry sounds a lot like Mike Reese. And let me know <laughs> if you agree. <laughs>
Ray? Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter, RDB AAA, and if I do anything new or cool, you will find it on there, so please pay attention to that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. That was our RPG Battle Systems episode, and we'll be back next week for a brand new episode of Retronauts Pocket. Later. Later.